Last week, when we were in here together, those of us who were here, um, we encouraged people to bring home one of these signs that talks about this invitation that we've got for our community in this series. We're doing a series on anxiety, and we said, you know, if you would like to take one of these home, put this in your yard, um, I think this could be a good potential conversation with your neighbors, a great invitation, because there's a whole lot of people that are really wrestling with anxiety all around us. What we didn't expect when we invited people to take those uh, home and to put them in their yards is... uh, this. Uh, We actually have a picture of this. This is not Photoshop. This is a real picture. Um, One of our members put this sign up in their yard, and we're going to put this on social media. I don't know if you can see the lower left-hand corner there. There's a bunny, (laughs) a little bunny that is looking at this sign. We did not expect that our forest friends were suffering from anxiety even in the northeast suburbs here. So this is a This is a real issue that is not just affecting your neighbors, but also our forest friends. We'll try to get this posted on social media too, so you can can see this up close. Well, as we dive in this morning, I want to encourage you to take out your notes and write this down. This is so important. If, If you're facing anxiety, you are not alone. You are not alone. And last week, as we launched this series, we we pressed into some very sobering statistics. The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. And in this year alone, 50 million of us, 50 million of us in this year will experience a panic attack. 50 million of us. And we also talked about last week how this is not just an adult thing. We put another sobering statistic on the screen that today's kids are experiencing anxiety at levels that psychiatric patients in the 50s were experiencing. This is a very, very real thing. And as we talked about how widespread this is, and as we talked about how serious this is, one of the things that we physically did in this room is we asked people to raise their hands and to pledge that this will be a community where we don't point fingers at one another, but rather we're going to be a community that extends a helping hand. And so we committed to that end, and we are committed to that end throughout this series. Churches are notorious for shooting their wounded. And that is not the vision that Jesus had for his church. Can I get an amen to that? That, that is not it at all. It was, it was the opposite. Well, our jumping off point for the series, it is a real first century letter that was written to real people in a real city called Philippi. And the name of the man who wrote this letter to the Philippians is Paul. Paul had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life and not just part of his life. It changed all of it to the point where in this letter, Paul mentions Jesus once every 2.6 verses. This is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus as he writes this letter. All right, we're going to look at a sample of this letter today. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to have you go home with one free today. Each and every week we keep a stack of them over by that black mailbox on your way out. Please take one. It's a gift for you. You don't have to tell us. You don't have to sign anything. Uh, We just encourage you to to bring that home with you. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says this. Paul says, it is my prayer. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ 
filled, remember this phrase, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I was thinking about this prayer that Paul has for his churches, and I think about our prayer for our church, and this is our prayer for our church, the same prayer, that we may be filled with knowledge and filled with insight and filled with discernment that can help us experience what he calls here the fruit of righteousness. That's the target. We want to be able to experience this fruit of righteousness. Now that imagery, this fruit of righteousness imagery, this is imagery that, G, that uh, Paul borrowed from Jesus himself. Jesus taught that when you align your life with God's guardrails, that you're going to experience fruit, positive fruit. It's, when that happens, we become like a plant that bears good fruit. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we find that it is filled with practical examples. What does that fruit look like? He doesn't just keep it up as like this, this symbol. He gives us practical insights into what this looks like. Here's just a few of the things that Paul says about like fruit of righteousness. Things like confidence, less anxiety, joy that abounds more and more, peace that surpasses all understanding, contentment in all circumstances. If this is the fruit of righteousness, isn't this something that we want more of? You know, so what we're looking at in this series is how do we get from where we are now to closer to this? That's what we're going to be looking at as we dive into this, this text that we're looking at today in, in Philippians, or in this whole series in Philippians 4. And the answer to that question, how do we get closer from where we are to that, the answer is one step at a time. Just one small step at a time. So let's begin our journey here. There's a place to write this in your notes as well. We are well equipped for life in a fallen world. We are well equipped for life in a fallen world. If you're new to Christianity, what we mean when we say that term fallen, it's a word that we use to describe the state of our world. One of the core beliefs that we have as Christians is that we live in a time between times. We believe that there was a brief moment in human history where sin hadn't yet entered the world. And we believe that there's going to be a day that's coming where all is as it should be. In fact, in that passage I just noticed that this morning, Paul referenced that day in the passage we read, even in Philippians 1 there. There's a day that is yet to come when all will be as it should be. Well, in this time between times... We live in a world that has real threats, real threats, threats to our bodies, threats to our minds, threats to our souls. And we are remarkably well equipped to face these threats. And I got a real life story that demonstrates how this works. Um, the irony here was just so thick. I've, uh, I've been trying to get back into competitive running for about six years <laughs> and it's not going well. It is not going well. I injured, injured myself on a training run again this winter. And so I've been doing a lot more walking than running. And uh, wanting to make the most of the situation, I've been bringing my phone with me when I'm out walking. And so I'm, I'm trying to use this time and I'm, I'm, I'm using it to prep messages and work on stuff, right? So I'm walking and I'm usually really focused in because I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to myself, you know, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. So I was out on April 9th in the snow, in the snow, in April 9th. And a lot of you remember that, right? So anyway, and I was working on this teaching series, 
about anxiety. This very series. I was focused. I was recording my thoughts in the phone. And I didn't hear. I was on Lexington. I didn't hear a runner who could actually run coming up on my right shoulder. And when that runner hit my peripheral vision, all of a sudden, in an instant, adrenaline was released. My heart rate accelerated. I literally flinched before I had any conscious thought. Because my body is well-equipped. It, it thought there's probably a collision coming or something, right? So without a conscious thought on my part, my body reacted to something in an instant. All this happened without any conscious thought, excuse me, on my part. Less than a second later, other sections of my brain started to kick in. And I realized that the only threat that that runner posed to me was my pride. That was the only threat that, my, my, that was really posed to me. And then within 10 seconds of that, I started thinking, it's that same pride that led me to get injured in the first place. Because I was training more like I was 20 instead of closer to 50, right? So I started having this moment. And as I started to move from my subconscious to my conscious, adrenaline starts to go down. The fight or flight starts to go away. And I was actually starting to deal with the root issues in my life rather than more the superficial issues. Wow. We've got amazing brains and bodies that are well-equipped for real issues in our fallen world. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. Our brains and our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, throughout this series, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what happens when our adrenaline and when our stress response is on overdrive. There's a whole lot of negative things, bad things that happen when we're in a constant state of anxiety. Before we go there in this series, I want to spend some time today reflecting on the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this same stress response that can get us into trouble when it's unchecked and we don't know how perhaps to deal with it, it is a good and God-honoring thing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The language that for, for this comes from a section of the Bible that we call the book of Psalms. And we find these words in Psalm 139, verse 14. It says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The author of this psalm is a man named David. And this man faced threats that most of us can't even fathom. And David realized that he had a creator that knew him better than he knew himself. And what David does in this psalm is he invites that creator to come in. He welcomes him in with words like these. This is further in that psalm, verse 23. Search me, God, he says. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. He invites this God who knows him better than he knows himself. He welcomes him in and invites him to help him process all these things. 
understanding how our minds are designed to work, and inviting God to help our anxious thinking. And that is a game changer. It was a game changer for David, and it's been a game changer for countless people, including myself. And that's where I want to start to take us a little bit more here yet this morning. Here's something that it said in one of these books. We, we have several books that we're recommending throughout this series. Um, we put them at the bottom of your notes. We highly recommend all four of these. We likened it in past uh, lessons. We said it's kind of like when you grab onto something with four fingers instead of just one, you get a better grip. I would, I would say it's the same thing with all four of these great resources. One of them says this. There are some amazing discoveries that have taken place over the last few years that have revolutionized our understanding of what causes anxiety. And what we're going to see, hopefully today, we're going to see that these discoveries, these recent discoveries, they confirm what the Bible has been saying all along. That these aren't really new discoveries. These, these are affirmations of the principles that the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. There's one book on your recommended resource list that's called Switch On Your Brain. And that book does a especially good job of it. Um, we've got copies of these, I believe, out on our Connect table. And this is the one I'm talking about right now, Switch On Your Brain. This one's got tons of information about how our brain physically works. And she says this. She says about our brain, our amazing brains. One brain generates more electrical impulses in one day than all the cell phones on the planet. That's amazing. Your brain, if it was hooked up to the right devices while you were reading this one sentence, here are some of the things going on in your head right now. You've got magnetic fields in your brain that could be measured. You have electrical impulses that can be tracked. You've got chemical effects that can be seen and measured. There are photons that have been activated that could be captured on computer screens. You've got energy activity that is resulting that can be explained using quantum physics. And there are vibrations right now in your brain going on in the membranes of neurons that can be picked up by instrumentation. In just one section of your brain right now, the non-conscious metacognitive level, there are about 400 billion actions happening per second. 400 billion actions per second in just one part of your brain. And that section of your brain is integrated with other sections of your brain, which are then integrated into the rest of your body. Either you all knew all this or you are not nearly as impressed as I was. And so I'm like, that is amazing. Are you kidding me? And one of the phrases that Dr. Leaf repeats over and over and over again in her book is this. There's a place to write these notes. She says, science is catching up with scripture. Science is catching up with scripture. Both the, quote, hard sciences, like physics, chemistry, biology, and the, quote, soft sciences, like counseling and therapy and these things. And I know that this is a very different narrative than the one that you're going to hear in the mainstream. Because you're going to hear people, I hear it all the time, making these claims that new discoveries invalidate what the scripture teaches. I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you when you hear those things to do some fact checking. Because every time I do my fact checking, when someone says this contradicts 
that in Scripture every time. When I look at what the Scripture says in context, the answer is either no, that's not true, or no, it's not that simple. Every time. So I would encourage you, be a fact checker. Don't just listen to what people say, even if a lot of people are repeating the same thing. Check it out yourself. Encourage you to do that. I found when I personally do this fact checking, I found that scientific and historical facts, as well as leadership and relational best practices, are aligned with what the Bible teaches. All right, so let's talk for just a minute about what people call the hard sciences. And I'm no expert, but I was pre-med in college, you know? And I've looked through a lot of microscopes, and I've spent a lot of time in labs. We even had this opportunity to look inside a human cadaver. And I can say with authority, at least from what I've seen, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, I'm going to ask you to repeat two things after me that are going to be really uncomfortable. But I want to encourage you to do this. Repeat after me. I have an amazing brain. All right, I'm glad you said that, right? And, and I want, this next one's going to be harder. Say this, I have an amazing body. All right. You know, a lot of times speakers, they have you look at someone else and say that. I wasn't going to put you in that spot, right? Because that would just be too awkward. This, it feels weird for us to say this because we're, we have this culture that has conditioned us to use ridiculously off reference points for what an amazing brain is supposed to be like or what an amazing body is supposed to be like. Let me say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have an amazing brain. You have an amazing body. And acknowledging this is an important step when it comes to living with anxiety. To acknowledge and affirm that we have an amazing brain. We have an amazing body. And to learn how to work with that amazing brain and amazing body. You are well equipped to face real dangers to body, mind, and soul that you're going to face in this fallen world. The stress response, when it's working as it should, it's an amazing thing. Deep within the core of our skull that was designed to protect it, near the top of a spinal column, our spinal column is a section of our brain through which we can, everything that we see and smell and hear and touch and feel, everything passes through this part of our brain. And when it does, your amazing brain automatically scans it for threats. Your brain does this all on its own. And when it senses a threat, it sounds an alarm like it did when I, I thought, oh, I might be a collision coming on here with someone's coming up on my shoulder. Instantly, when it senses a threat, it sends out chemicals and neurological signals instructing your amazing body to accelerate the heart rate, release stress hormones, and a host of other things that instantly prepare you to face these potential threats. It's like having your own private Hudson in your head. And I hope most of you don't know who I'm talking about when I talk about private Hudson because he's featured in a movie called Aliens, which I do not recommend for family movie night. All right? So there's this private Hudson character, and he's in this movie, Aliens. And what happens is, I think we got a picture of him, right? There's our private Hudson, a little hard to see on the screen. But this guy, when he was faced by threats in the movie Aliens, he's like, it's over, man. It's game over. He just panics, right? He sounds the alarm. He doesn't know how to process the threats, right? 
Well, sometimes having your own private Hudson in your head is helpful. Many times it's helpful. If you're driving down the road and suddenly somebody swerves into your lane, that is not the time to form a committee. And, and let's talk this through. Let's weigh out all the pros and cons. Let's circle back at a later date. That is a time to, okay, react. You're in danger. And so it's good that we've got a private Hudson in our head that says, be careful, there's something going on. You need to be aware of this. Well, one of the steps towards experiencing more of the fruit of righteousness is to actually appreciate the fact that God has designed our minds with an, our own personal private Hudson. In her book, um, this another one that we recommend, there's a book called Don't Feed the Monkey Mind. In, in her book, what she does is she calls private Hudson. She says, it's like having a little monkey in your head. And here's what she says about that little monkey. She says, I suggest that you acknowledge these thoughts that the little monkey has with a simple thank you. That's right, be polite. That little critter, misguided as it is, is just trying to keep you safe. Like a tantrum-throwing toddler, the monkey will not be quieted with reason, though. Like a fire alarm, it cannot be ignored. So, acknowledge the monkey politely and move forward. And a second step towards this fruit of righteousness, then, is to remember that that little monkey is not the king of the jungle. In Private Hudson, he is not the commander-in-chief. And so we have to learn, okay, how do we start to move when that alarm starts to sound? How do we say we don't have to be alarmed? Let's assess this threat in different ways, in more sophisticated ways. We can say sometimes, we can say to Private Hudson, thank you, Private. I hear you, and I'll take what you have to say under advisement. You know, And there are sometimes, not all the time, there are some times when just that act is enough. One of the things I do is I keep a little pad of Post-its and, um, and a pen next to my nightstand because Private Hudson at night often has a lot to say. You know, He's like, oh, tomorrow, you've got to remember to do this, and if you don't, it's the end of the world. Thank you, Private Hudson. I'll take note of that. I've heard what you had to say. I'll write it down, put it on my bedside so that he can be set at ease and we can move on. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it takes to be able to start to move from that lower section of your brain to the higher section of your brain. Hard science talks about this. Here's one of the things that, that someone wrote about this. He said, if you could flick a magic switch that caused an immediate reduction of all the stress hormones floating through your bloodstream, you would suddenly feel a whole lot more normal again. And there's sometimes where the act of moving from just the subconscious to the conscious, start to process those thoughts, sometimes that's enough in certain situations to bring calm back into your life. Now, sometimes it's that simple. Most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's not. Here's what else the hard sciences teach us. This is a quote out of a book called The Anxiety Cure. Your brain has its own system of natural tranquilizers. Artificial tranquilizers only mimic what the brain is already doing for itself. Tranquilizers work because the brain is designed for them to work. When there's an adequate supply of these natural tranquilizers, we remain calm and happy. 
But when they're depleted, we become anxious and sad. And there's a whole lot of ways where these natural systems get depleted. And when they are, then it's not that simple. You physically can't just say, let me reason this out. Because your body's in a different place. When we push ourselves too hard for too long, if our brain's body and body's chemistry is out of balance, if you're in a situation where you're experiencing prolonged stressors that are real stressors, then you can come to that place where you physically can't. And that's where it's so good to call upon others who can help, right? Because sometimes it's not that simple. And if, again, if the hard sciences teach us anything, they teach us that sometimes we need more than just think happy thoughts, right? Or just think differently. Now that, in a couple weeks, I want to let you know too, because there's so much more to be said about that. In in fact, starting next week, we're going to say more about that, about things that that we can do when we're in that more depleted type space. There, uh, yeah, space. There are lifestyle choices that we can make that can make a big difference in our lives, and we'll talk more about them as the series goes on. But another thing that we're going to talk about is really important. I want to spend some time on this, because this deals more with the soft sciences. Learning how to think and process anxious thoughts in healthier ways, that is a game changer too. Several of the sources that I look at, looked at, they drew a distinction between the brain and the mind. Have you ever heard anyone do that before? Drawing a distinction between the physical brain and the mind. And how many of you know that when we think differently, it physically changes our brains? Physically changes our brains when we think differently. I just finished a great book called The Power of Habit. And in it, the author makes this claim. He says, as Lisa's habits changed, so did her what? So did her brain. As she learned to think differently and process thoughts differently, her actual brain changed. Dr. Leaf says this about our thoughts. She says, thoughts are real, physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. When we hope, it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. And there is real hope when we learn how to process anxious thoughts differently. We can physically, when we do that, we can physically create the equivalent of paved pathways towards peace in our brains. And when we don't do that, we can actually create the opposite. We can create paved pathways in our brains towards destructive and hurtful thinking. Here's another quote from the good doctor. She says this, As we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns. We, got, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. New thought networks grow and we can increase our intelligence and bring healing to our brains and our minds and even our physical bodies. Does that sound good to anyone else? then what I want to encourage us to do in the weeks ahead, let's let Paul coach us. 
in this. Let's allow Paul to, Paul's words to soak deep into our lives. And I also, again, want to encourage you to look at some of those other resources because what you're going to see is Paul's words and what these other resources are saying. They are aligned when it comes to how we can experience less anxiety in our lives and, and begin the road, the long road to recovery one step at a time. Let me give you one example of this and then we're going to bring today's teaching to a close. Here are three assumptions that uh, one licensed marriage and family therapist says that anxious people have. This is from that book, The Monkey, Don't Feed the Monkey Mind. She says this. She says that, that one of the false assumptions we have is I must be 100% certain. I must not make mistakes. And I'm responsible for everyone's happiness and safety. She said a whole lot of people, we walk around with these subconscious assumptions and I'm reading these things, and I'm looking at these three things, and I'm thinking about what the scriptures say. They provide real hope in every one of these areas, don't they? That first one, we believe in a God who can work all things for good. Can I get an amen to that? That changes number one. Number two, We believe in a God who made a way for our mistakes to be forgiven. Can I get an amen to that? And our faith is grounded in the belief that God is God and we aren't. And we can't be responsible. We can't take the weight on our shoulders for everybody else. What we can do by the grace of God is to do our best to love God and love others. That's what we can do in any given moment. The further I got into Jennifer Shannon's book, the more I began to think she's plagiarizing Philippians is what she's doing. Because, and there's a place to write this in your notes. Imagine what could happen then if we dropped key words and phrases from Philippians 4, 4 through 9 into a cognitive behavioral therapy framework. Next week, God willing, we're going to talk more about a cognitive behavioral therapy framework, which I've been demonstrated to be very effective. It's a way of processing anxious thoughts in healthier ways. I'm reading Philippians. I'm reading what she says about cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm thinking, if we just drop keywords and phrases into this framework, it's amazing. If you're not familiar with Philippians 4, 4 through 9, look at some of these keywords and phrases. We highlight some of them. Imagine if we started to drop these into our thinking. If we started to rejoice in things that maybe we weren't thinking about at the time that we truly can rejoice about. Remembering that the Lord is at hand. If we started to, to come and, and ask for God to help in prayer, helping directly and through other people. If we started to learn to be more thankful about real things to really be thankful for. If we started to pursue peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Next slide here. Look at this. It it goes on. Telling ourselves the truth. Focusing on things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. Focusing on things that are worthy of praise. And then practicing these things. Are you kidding me? You start dumping this into a cognitive behavioral therapy framework and it's a game changer. And why can I say that with authority right now in this moment? Because I've been speaking with my rough draft 
my real notes are sitting at thy office where I printed them and punched them and had them all ready to bring to you. And I opened up and didn't know that until this moment. You know that, oh no, this is my rough draft. And, and, and I'm, I'm talking about one of the most sensitive issues that I worked really hard to wordsmith each and every word because I didn't want to kick somebody who was down and I, and I wanted to say things in a good and God-honoring way and I'm going, I didn't do that in my first draft. Oh no! But I don't have to listen to that little monkey, right? God can work all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And my wife knows me. That's why she's reacting so strong. The fact that I'm not just going, ah, you know, somebody run back, Jason, do another song. The fact that I'm just able to, you know, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this stuff really works because I was able to look down at this and go, okay, it is what it is. And God's going to work all things for good. Even a year ago, that would have been a lot harder for me to process that moment when I first opened this up and looked up at you and went, Oh, no. (laughs) So for all of us, all of us, I want to encourage you to write this down. There is hope. There is hope when we embrace our creator's design and his instructions. There's hope. Even for perfectionists, you know, like me and like a lot of you. Even for those of us who are facing things that we just look at this and go, there is no hope here. There's hope. There is hope. I'm not going to promise an easy path because God himself doesn't. What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but have hope. Because I have what? I've overcome the world. I've overcome things that you can't overcome on your own. Paul's a great, great, great coach. We have so much to learn from him. And I also want to say, too, for those of you who are new to the faith or are just exploring the faith, what is true about this topic is true in all areas. This thing about... There's hope when we embrace God's design and his instructions. Because the research bears out what the scriptures have been saying for thousands of years, not just with anxiety, but in other areas too. You know, people will tell you that your marriage is going to probably be better if you live together first. Is that what the research bears out? No. Marriages that thrive, statistically, they thrive, are the ones where people waited. You know, same thing when it comes to conflict. People will tell you all kinds of conflict. The Bible's old-fashioned. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and Matthew 18 about conflict. You apply those two passages to your life, those are best practices. Research will bear that out. Which brings us then to this week's memory verse. We're encouraging everyone to memorize Philippians 4, 4 through 9 throughout this series. And we're just taking it little pieces at a time. And I'll just be honest with you because that's what I do. I got to today's little section and I'm like, let's just skip this one because it really isn't very meaty. Here's what it is. Today's section. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That doesn't sound as meaty as the other stuff around it. And then I was thinking about the actual content from today. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Practicing these things in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Paul is understating. This is more than reasonable. This is life-giving. So let's memorize this. I want to invite the worship band to, to come on up and not bail me out, but to close us with a good song. And as they do, as the worship band goes forward, let's repeat this three times after 
together. Ready? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Again, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. One more time. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. All right, let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that you're a good God and that you can work all things for good. Father, we pray that you'd help us to take one step closer to you. And right now, Father, we pray that you would open our minds to this song and help us to see your promises in it. In Jesus' name, amen.